bass down low. It's time to turn the music up. We are here to talk with you, to listen to you, and to share heart to heart. If you have found us for the very first time, welcome aboard. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. And uh, we're taking a brief intermission from Mormon mommy bloggers uh, because I need to, well, the, the deep dives take longer than the kind of random rambly pop culture episodes. And I got so many interesting like emails and comments about it. And I want to compile them in like a meaningful way. So please pardon the interruption. I'm excited because a lot of new people came to the podcast as a result of that episode. And I'm very, I'm very unsure to, if I should post this episode, because if you're new here, my like life's goal would be to be like a Delilah on adult contemporary radio, just like talking people through their issues in a very soothing manner. But by issues, I mean, I do want people calling in and inquiring about the state of Shep and Danny's chlamydia. So it would be like a, a real grab bag of meaningful and meaningless topics and talking about them in a serious way, nonetheless. And so I started a hotline for my podcast, and it, it's 312-379-9676. If you need it, it's also in the episode notes. It's also on the at Be There in 5 podcast Instagram handle. So my voicemails were getting backed up. I figured I'd answer a few in the meantime. I, I, I guess you guys tell me, which is worse, posting no podcast or posting an episode that's like, nah, not your favorite? You know what I mean? And I don't even know how I feel about this one, but full disclosure, I recorded it last Friday when I was hungover and I don't even know what I'm talking about half the time. I'm a little bit loopy, but you like slowly hear me sober up toward the end. And not that I was still drunk. I just like woke up and I felt really bad, but I didn't know why because I didn't drink that much. Anyways, um, it's like it, it has a lot of different things peppered in. So I figured, you know what? Consistency is something that's important to me. Even if this isn't your favorite episode, please come back for part two of Mormon Mommy Bloggers. And like, I don't want to like jinx it. I have a few guests coming up that are going to like blow your minds. Like I'm really excited and I'm just hopeful they're not going to cancel on me. <laughs> um, so it's in your best interest to subscribe and to stick around and to like rate five stars while you're at it. Because like, it's good to support small business, you know, like I'm a fledgling podcaster. I, I don't ask for much. This episode is ad free. So I just love your, uh, your positive reviews. And also if you are waiting to get in the be there in five Facebook group, it's not personal. I just, um, am behind because <laughs> I actually am like taking my time and reading answers and stuff and going through the queue. And again, I did say, if your answer is Mormon mommy bloggers, I won't let you in. <laughs> it has to be more specific. And the only reason is just cause I want, Oh, just like, um, Tyler C wasn't, who's now dating Gigi Hadid and who skyrocketed to fame because he got the glorious spot of second place, which is really first place when you think about it on The Bachelorette. Unlike Tyler C, I want you to be there for the right reasons. And I'm kind of kidding because I know everybody loves him, but no guy that looks like that has trouble finding women and needs to go on a television show. And he really played his cards, right? He is full on Abercrombie model, sepia tone dude on a bag whose pants, whose Abercrombie jeans are so low and who's moose critter you know cloth belt with two metal loopholes with his low-rise Abercrombie jeans where like the man V is showing to the point where it's almost like yikes uh, you know is this uh, did I go on a light middle school shopping trip to pick up a t-shirt that says hustler 69 
or did I hit up the bachelorette party section of the Spencer gifts that I was never supposed to be in any way? You know? Uh, what was I saying? Oh, right reasons. Yeah. Anyway, not personal. Just be patient and or reapply because I don't know you really care. And I, this sounds so stupid. I'm sure you're like, who are you? Um, but we have a group of like 1,300-ish now. Awesome people. We keep it fun. We keep it breezy. We keep it supportive. We keep it cool. We keep it clean. We make it nice. And I just want to enjoy it while, ha- while it hasn't gone off the rails. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this episode, uh, I guess just enjoy me walking you through my confusion with my hangover. I, you know, apologize to any hardcore Matchbox 20 fans because, you know, color me surprised when I listened back to this. I barely remember recording it again. Wasn't blackout, just super tired and a little nauseous. Um, I really go in on Rob Thomas and I didn't even know I felt that way. Uh, there's a lot of talk of nineties, uh, rock of, uh, who I think carried pop music on their backs in the early 2010s conversations about, I I don't even know. At one point I start to really talk about the fruits that I find are underrated, which, you know, I do have a aggressive fruit allergy to any, a lot of things like pits and cores. And that's just some context for a few jokes I make that will maybe make no sense if you didn't know I have weird food allergies. Um, my like lips swell. It's, it's very strange. I won't die. It's because I'm allergic to the environment in which the fruits grow. It's called oral allergy syndrome. In case anybody's wondering if, it, if, why, if, or why their um, mouth itches when they eat certain fruits or vegetables raw, it, 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 there's a high likelihood it's because it like grows in ragweed or pollen or mold or something. You're some environmental allergen you're allergic to, which the uh, produce absorbs. And it is cooked out or it is processed out. So, like, I can have cooked anything and I can have processed anything. But, like, if I bite into an apple, like, call me Snow White. And uh, I, I don't, it's very strange, but I can eat apples in, like, Europe and Mexico. And that's also strange. Um, but anyway, a lot of people's mouths itch when they have, like, bananas and strawberries and stuff. And I think people don't really realize what it is. So, Google oral allergy syndrome and... Um, Prepare to feel some relief. I'm sure everybody knows somebody who has like scratchy mouth issues with fruit. <laughs> I feel like it's more common than people even think. But anyway, that the extreme version of that is my sister and I, who's like throats closed just a smidge. But, you know, in the event, something is too delicious to pa- pass up. We just eat it anyway. Pop some Benadryl, pass out. We won't get hospitalized. It's cash. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Forgive me if it's not your fave. If you want to know my favorite episodes, they're called uh, Bath and Body Jerks. I love the episode with... Danny Pellegrino. It's a 90s deep dive. Um, I do like the Taylor and Scooter, uh, you know, music rights deep dive, but, you know, that's not for everybody probably. Um, I also, I like, I'm like, I like all my episodes. Um, But Lauren Lippman's, if you're a Taylor Swift fan, we kind of like cover a lot of ground there. Um, I love Murder and Macaroons. I love the um, Royal Family deep dives with Merit. Um, I really like an old one called Bold Yet Unassuming. I also really like one called Ween Picks. <laughs> That's where I talk about being in a sorority. Um, I don't know. Like, those are just some more recent runs. I mean, my Under the Influencer ones I think are fun. I recorded one with Grace Atwood last night, and I think you'll really love it. She's so honest, and she's so wonderful, and I, I was just, like, blown away by how open and cool she was, just, like, talking about being an influencer in a space where so many people really rely on smoke and mirrors because they don't want people to know the intricacies of it because their life is supposed to appear largely aspirational. But I think her approach is so refreshing and so modern and how she prioritizes um, being relatable and being herself. And you guys are just going to love that episode. 
So yeah. Anyway, love you tons. See you soon. And thank you for your patience with the Mormon Mommy Blogger podcast, though I was corrected that technically you are not allowed to say Mormon or, or even LDS. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a mouthful. And while I want to respect the church, I also cannot, as a long-winded person, cannot afford that many more extra syllables, and I'm going to have to work around that. So hopefully I will find a solution in the meantime. So yeah, I guess uh, Kate over and out. Or actually, hung over and out. <laughs> That's a good episode title. Uh, is that walkie-talkie speak, over and out? Is that what they call it, walkie-talkie speak? Jun-jun hana? <laughs> okay, bye. You see, your confidence is tragic, but her intuition magic. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy. It is Friday morning, and as a brief intermission in between Mormon Mommy Blogger episodes, my voicemails were getting backed up, and I wanted to answer some listener questions. There's a lot of, it's, it's so interesting what people call in for, from like the most serious questions to the most trivial, and I love them both equally, and I don't know. I just think it's really cool that anybody would call in and care what I have to say, so thank you so much if you have. I am, um, you know, I'm struggling. I... <laughs> You know, sometimes you go out and you have like 12 drinks and you wake up and could not be more sprightly and you just are like, I am invincible. I am Bradley Cooper and Limitless. I had like two and a half drinks last night and I feel horrible. Like I'm, I feel I'm so hungover and I'm like, what did I do wrong? I, I, I really felt fine last night. Like I wasn't hammered by any means. I was like very normal functioning. I had two margaritas. <laughs> now I'm like. I, I, it's probably going to sound like more than it was, but, um, oh wait, no, I had four drinks. I had two margaritas, a mini bottle of champagne that I had to drink through a horn and I kept spilling it on myself. It was very Pinteresty and like cute, but like, it's really weird to be a grown woman at a table of adults and to constantly have dribble, you know, dribble's just not a thing you should experience once you're past the age where it's like chill to wear a bib and okay and then I had like then you know there was like an hour or hour and a half lapse time and then I had a glass of wine that it took me like two hours to drink so this was from like I don't know 5 30 to 11 30 I mean that's like I don't know is that I feel like having four drinks over that long of a period of time I would actually normally be fine which I don't know if that's pathetic, but like, I just, anyways, nobody cares. Somebody in the Facebook group today asked me if, um, what like my away message quote was, uh, that like, if I could remember one and the first one that came to my head is so embarrassing. I can't even like, obviously I would quote dashboard cause you know, the whole point of away messages was it's basically what vague booking is now when like somebody, you know, Facebook but their status update is like, ugh, don't even ask. And then like, what are the comments flooded with? People that are asking. It's pretty genius, really, if, if you want to get attention. And all of my away messages were vaguely emotional, to, like very, very strategically designed to get attention. And um, I used to put up this quote by, you know, one of the great bands of our time. Uh, they're a little group called Train. And I would put up lyrics from Meet Virginia and I would like alternating caps, the line, you see her confidence is tragic, but her intuition's magic.
I mean, I can't. That's so stupid. That lyrically, that is actually great. Conceptually, it's a real bummer. And it's not the kind of attention soliciting I needed to be focused on. I needed to be more thirsty, more thoughty, more like, uh, you know, you think you know, but you have no idea. And then people be like, oh, my God, girl, tell me everything. And <laughs> no one said that. <laughs> but like I may f- I've just never been very good at being flirty electronically or otherwise. So I think that my go to is just something that's like a smidge too depressing for your average person. Anyway, what was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah. My adult hangover. I don't know, guys. I just don't feel good. And I and I am annoyed because like I I got on here to talk on this podcast because I sometimes think that like you just have to do something. So you're not thinking about it. And I think you kind of have to talk because I was like working and trying to clean my house. But then I was just like, I don't know. So anyway, pardon me if I'm a little bit off today. Um, But also Kid Rock just tweeted something like really rude about Taylor Swift that she wants to like she only has become a Democrat now because she wants to be in movies. And I'm like, and among other offensive things, but I'm like, um, hello, Kid Rock. Have you not seen the fine film Valentine's Day? Because I'm pretty sure that she's been an actress, a fine, fine actress since, uh, you know, 2010. And like, I'm mad that I, you know, that the song all summer long, it's, it's catchy. I'm not as into Ba with the Ba. I'm not as into cowboy I, I do like picture featuring Cheryl Crow and I have heard that live and as you guys know when it comes to the battle of MTV versus VH1 I I feel like Cheryl Crow is a female representation of what VH1 was in the 90s it was like older adult contemporary like Lilith Fair and they and, and their video countdowns instead of being like Christina Aguilera come on over at number one it would be like I don't know like Matchbox 20 you know of all the 90s like kind of pop rock bands I I cannot listen to Matchbox <laughs> Match Box Matchbox 20 <laughs> I just feel like that's that's a channel changer you know when it comes on the radio and I will be fine if I never again in my life I hear, I wanna push you around. Well, I will. Well, I will. And like, I wanna push you down. Assault alert. I just, and like, slide. I uh, do not care. I'm not that excited about your collab with Santana. Obviously, Santana himself is like a legend. He's like a guitar prodigy, like, no shade to his skills. It just so happens that every collab Santana does, I hate <laughs> and I paused there because I realized he only there's only two and I'm you know I really need to stop using absolute terms like all or nothing unless I'm talking about all or nothing which you know is my favorite song but anyway uh smooth featuring Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas I do not ever need to hear again it is the smooth and uh the game of love Santana feet Michelle Branch those songs along with Los Lonely Boys How Far Is Heaven are like the official soundtrack of a Romano's Macaroni Grill I just I it's the it's these like radio stations that play in restaurants and I don't I'd need to figure out what channel it is that like chain restaurants play because it's it's always hot music from the 90s aughts but it's not pop music people like. 
I should clarify that I love the Goo Goo Dolls. I love Edwin McCain. I love, you know, I can't think of a single other artist or band right now that falls into that category. But, you know, I just don't want to like, I, I, I respect the, you know, rock music category, but I still don't think these Santana collabs fall in there. So please don't come at me. But I just think it's interesting that like, you know, if a, a, a restaurant or like major retailer is cycling through, you know, early 2000s hits and they're like, you know, we come across 2004. Like, why is Ryan Cabrera's on the way down playing? You know what also came out in 2004? Jaquan's Tipsy. If I were just like walking through a Target and Tipsy came on, I would drop everything. If I drop everything, I mean myself included, who would be dropping it like it's hot because Snoop Dogg's Drop It Like It's Hot also came out in 2004. That was like the best year of music. I have a theory about 2004. Maybe I'll do an episode about 2004, kind of like how Gil, uh, Rory Gilmore had a 2002 birthday party, which was funny because I'm pretty sure that episode came out in like 2008 or 2009. It was I kind of love the, that idea. And that's why, too, I'll, I'm, I obsess over like the early Pinterest days with the bubble necklaces and the scarf. Well, the scarf's still fine. It's pretty recent. But I think it's funny to be nostalgic for trends that are just a little bit out of fashion. <laughs> um, but anyway, I I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Somehow Ryan Cabrera is really still in the mix. These uh, restaurants and retailers also really love some Howie Day. And like I like Collide as much as the next gal, but I've just felt this way my whole life. Like, why, wh why, why do why do Collide and On the Way Down and Daniel Powder's Bad Day stand the test of time? Why are we leaning into these songs that were kind of annoying while they were new? I'd rather be leaning back to Terror Squad's 2004 hit "Lean Back." It's all very frustrating, and and I have not answered a single question. But I do need to look back on one thing. Re-Kid Rock. Let me just read you what he said. He said, Taylor Swift wants to be a Democrat because she wants to be in movies, period. And it looks like she will suck the doorknob off Holly Weird to get there. Oldest move in the book. Good luck, girl. Hyphen Kid Rock. Sorry. You turn my ringer off. Very unprofessional. Every time I do that and I leave in the texting, I think... Somewhere out there is somebody who is waiting with bated breath for someone to text them back and their heart just fluttered and, you know, sunk. There's so much wrong with this. I, I don't even want to get into it, but like, I just, it's just, I don't know what he was thinking. It's so misogynistic. It's so incorrect. Um, it, she's like, I'm, I, I, I just, oh my God. And like, Taylor Swift like sneezes and writes on a piece of paper, you know, my heart's been borrowed and yours has been blue all's well that ends well to end up with you. You call me up again just to break me like a promise. So casually cruel in the name of being honest. I bury hatchets, but I keep maps of where I put them like poetry. She's a lyrical wizard and it rolls off her tongue and right out of the pencil that she holds very weirdly in between her middle and ring fingers. And then when Kid Rock sits down to write a song, he was like, hmm, gonna write a hit. Let's see. Ball with the ball. What should come next? Okay, how about the bang? Okay, we'll say that twice. Ball with the ball, the bang, the bang. Hmm, yeah. 
I'm thinking three diggies, three diggies next. Ba with da ba, da bang, da bang, diggy, diggy, diggy. So I feel like we need a boogie in there because that's a modern term for for dancing that, you know, people still use. It's super badass because like I, you know, want to write from the heart and it really just speaks to my personal experience that naturally next, you know, I would need to up jump the boogie. Because I just really want like all, you know, the, the young people of America to feel inspired and to feel empowered and to realize that they, too, can scribble on a napkin after downing a fifth of Jack Daniels. Uh, I take that back. He probably drinks Jim Beam's Red Stag, which is like a I don't know, it's probably like a 60 proof cherry flavored whiskey or like black cherry. Do we need do we as a society need two types of cherry? I really just often think black cherry tastes like a lot worse. I really think that Ed Sheeran's wife, her name's Cherry, and I think that's like a cute first name, though. But I'm sure most people say Sherry, and that would bother me. Also, do we as a society know what a blue raspberry is? Like, why? It's like the... I actually wholeheartedly support blue raspberry anything. It's the best Pedialyte pop. It's the best flavor ice. It's one of the better airheads. And I just don't think they're real. So why'd they pick that? And then why did everyone adopt it as their own, you know? Or like when you think about how cherry flavored things don't taste like cherries, banana flavored things don't taste like bananas, you know, like flavored things that have their flavor, but they're unassociated with the thing that they're actually supposed to taste like. And like, why are we okay with that? Why are we standing idly by and like letting people tell us that something tastes like a green apple when it does not taste like a crisp piece of fruit. Actually, it's more like a Granny Smith apple because that usually means it's a sour flavor and it doesn't make any sense that it's a green apple. Also, I if I ever run for office, two of my platforms will be, you know, really trying to promote and popularize how the both the flavors of the fruit themselves and the Faux flavors, when things are say to flavored like these things, are so much better than the classics we're stuck with every day as it relates to confections. And those two things are guava and pears. I just think pears are the unsung heroes of, you know, quarter pitted fruits. Like, they... The Juicy Pear is one of the most accurate Jelly Belly flavors on the planet. Okay, Jelly Belly is the exception, actually. I should caveat, they are outstanding flavor profilers and matchers with their confections. Most people are not. I just think that pears taste better than apples. And I don't know if that that's going to outrage people. My inbox is going to be absolutely flooded. But, you know, a pear has like a it's it's less savory. It's it's so sweet and it's so soft if you get the right one. And I have been into a pear in recent years because those are touch and go for me. But it's worth it. I'd eat, I'd, I'll gladly eat a whole pear, pop a couple Benadryl, and just pass out and, like, deal with the swelling. But for a green apple, like, no, I'm good. Like, you know, keep your apples, Panera. I'll take a bag of chips. Thank you. Just, like, a quick other thing. Um, roast. Okay, put butter in a pan. Cut and take the skin off of pears. Put them face down in the butter. Cook them at like 350 for like 45 minutes, 10 minutes before the time is up. Drench them in balsamic vinegar. Put them on a bed of lettuce with some goat cheese, drizzle some honey, crack some black pepper. Thank me later. Moving on. Well, nope, I don't move on. I scoot back. 
Also, like Taylor Swift doesn't want to be in Cats because she wants to get into fine Oscar buzz worthy films. I don't think anybody walked into Cats no really thinking that they were going to do Andrew Lloyd Webber any justice. This play was weird on stage. It's going to be weirder on screen. And I'm like, you know, memories. I like it, whatever. I love Broadway. Cats is just like really not up my alley. That's funny. Remember the alley cats? Remember the Aristocats? Snobby bitches. Um, the, the, what she's basically, they enlarge the furniture to make the cats look smaller. But A, the cats have human noses, human mouths, and human breasts, but everything else is covered in fur. And they kept the body shape of the actors, essentially, which makes me uncomfortable. They're essentially nude with fur on and talking like I can. I mean, like they need to have that thingy that like split. Like, not. I mean, I guess it's a snout. I don't know. Whatever. It's the whole like I wish they would have been better off just doing the stage makeup that they did in the Broadway show. It was really elaborate and cool. And I just feel like this movie was kind of CGI phoned in. Also, Jason Derulo as a cat is just something I've really never needed to see. I really like his music. I actually think he's kind of overlooked at times. He has so many hits and he did a lot for us in the early 2010s. You know, kind of like Tayo Cruz kind of like carried those years on his back. <laughs> so did Akon. Uh, but when you think about like Talk Dirty Swalla wiggle uh in my head riding solo uh the, i did not like what you say that image and heap like play on it was just because that was like a, such an important scene in the oc i feel like he was capitalizing um but i will uh, uh trumpets is okay but i really really like want to want me and i feel like that is his most underrated song and it's so so good but like when i saw the taylor Swift like potential uh track list leak there was a song called Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. And I immediately thought of chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water. Cause it's just like, what, what is what? Why are you putting those things together? Very, very confused. There's a song about called London boy. I'm going to be disappointed. Um, I feel like Limp Bizkit is kind of, that's an era of music. I don't talk about a lot, but I feel like I have a lot of favorites kind of that. There, those like hybrid, which I guess you wouldn't call it. What do you call it? Punk, like punk hybrids, like uh, some 41, you know, God, some 41's awesome. So is Jimmy Eat World, but they're not similar to some 41. I also feel like Papa Roach is kind of an icon. Is that one guy? Is Papa? Is he the only roach? Is it? Is it? Is it a whole crew? I don't really remember if it's a band or a guy. But there's this like treatment plant, not plant. I don't know what it is. They like they like smash cars and stuff. And sometimes it smells bad. And I like regularly walk by it and think to myself, suffocation, no breathing, because I feel like that's what he was talking about. You know, I kind of want to go back and like listen, like really listen to those songs. Like what the hell is a push by Matchbox 20 about? What is Last Resort about? What is fat lip about other than when I, you know, have a rogue evening and take a bite into a big juicy pear? <sighs> anyway, guys, guess I'll get to questions. So this is going well. Hi, Kate. It's Allison. I was just calling. This is dangerous because I have a lot of time at home with a two-month-old who prides herself on being your youngest fan. 
Um, anyway, I'm just sitting here by myself laughing out loud at your recent episode and thought I had to call and then say hello as if we were hanging out. Now I realize that's insane. But I just wanted to say hello and thank you for giving me some socialization uh, during maternity leave. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye. Oh my gosh, just to call, just to calling to say hello. I'm into that. Thank you. I'm glad to keep you company. I went to college with Alison. She's a few years younger than me and was definitely a better Kappa Delta. I don't think she had to spend her life savings on weekly fines for not attending fraternity socials and philanthropy events, but sisters for life nonetheless. I was just about to say something like ritualistic from Kappa Delta, but like that's another funny part of sororities like why do we have like taglines that are in Anglo-Saxon? You know, like what? <laughs> it's like it's kind of like what I was saying with scripture. It's like it's at a point do we modify these, or should I still be walking around and be like, let us strive for that is the honorable, the beautiful, the highest? Like, no wonder I was so bad at being an authority. Like to 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 have your like you know whatever mission statement or slogan or whatever be like let us strive for that which is the honorable, the beautiful, the highest. It's a tall order. Like, I'm lucky if I'm, I get one of those. I also like, LOL, that I would feel since it's like still an organization and I do have such good friends from my sorority, but I think so much stuff with ritual and uh, initiation and like the secrecy is so funny. And I like want to tell jokes about it so bad, but like I respect that, like, you know, they want to keep it secret. And like, it's funny to me that I feel bound to that because I really, you know, <laughs> I didn't sign an NDA. I like, but actually I might've put my hand on a Bible at one point. To be honest, I don't remember. I uh, just think it would, I almost wish people could like discuss ritual and like not ruin it for people or find a way to do it. Cause I'm so curious what other people do. And I'm sure I could find it on the internet. Cause like KD has a secret thing called AOT. And like when I joined the sorority, they were like, it's never been written since the history of time. And I was like, oh, my God, nobody knows what this means. It's verbal exchange only. And I really never took to Google for some reason to verify that. And I really took great pride. And basically, I thought I was in like, I don't know, what's that like thing? Is it Yale? Like this I was just like in the skull and bone society. I like thought it was the life and death brigade. And I remember when I first started dating Greg, I was like telling trying to tell him the charade of, you know, basically a, a centuries long game of telephone to w withhold the ritual of Kappa Delta sorority. And he like Googled it and he was like, does it mean this? And I was like, oh, yeah. And like the problem is they should tell us to lie when we're faced with that. But that's not honorable, beautiful, nor is it high. So what's a girl to do? You know, I actually would love to do an episode about sorority recruitment. I think and like, I know that's a bit insular and I know not everybody can relate to it, but I think on the outside it's funny. And, you know, I wouldn't, again, I might feel like I'm, if like my friend Lindsay's listening to this, she's like quaking because <laughs> I'm not going to reveal capital to secrets. <laughs> um, but I would want to, I just like, I think it's um, very, it, I just don't see how it works this day and age. It's like very arbitrarily selective. Uh, I feel like it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. I feel like it's funny how forced, like how everything's like mandatory, forced and serious. But again, it's not the government. It's not the law. Nothing was going to happen to me if like I didn't do it right yet. I was like so scared of the head of recruitment. Also, 
I what the last two years of it. I okay. <laughs> TLDR uh, joined it in freshman year. I did recruitment sophomore year. Said never again. Junior year, I studied abroad and senior year. And then they probably thought I was faking it. I literally got the worst respiratory infection of my life to the point where I had to go home for like two weeks because I was so contagious. And I was just like, wow, that is the good Lord being the honorable, the beautiful and the highest. Even though, you know, I was at times worried I made my really important uh, council role of chaplain a bit too secular at times. And by secular, I mean, you know, I don't know like what was popular at the time. I was probably like, ladies, as we embark upon our week and close this chapter meeting and strive for that, which is honorable, beautiful, and the highest, I want to leave you with some important words to take with you from baby bash feet, tea pain. She moves her body like a cyclone and she makes me want to do it all night long going hard when she turns the spotlights on because she moves her body like a cyclone, a mighty cyclone. Did I make up that last line? A mighty cyclone. It's just funny. That's, that was definitely not my favorite song in like that grand 2004 era. However, when you think about people running out of ideas, I think it is defined by, you know, (laughs) writing a song that compares a, a, a women's, a woman's body to weather phenomena. You know, it's like, damn, girl, that ass is like a flash flood. I don't know. Like, what's next? Because like hurricanes too commonplace. I I, I assume derecho just doesn't roll off the tongue the way it needs to. That's a funny there. I don't know if this was Chicago specific, but derecho, I think that's how you say it. Um, It's like this really aggressive, like storm cloud. And it was like a word I learned two years ago because there must have been one somewhere. I mean, I guess there's one everywhere all the time, but. I guess on my radar. And it's one of those words that like people start to use and you're kind of like, yeah, I know what that means. Or you just kind of like, don't really know how to use it. Right. I felt that way about the word furlough. What was it, like four or five years ago with the government shutdown? I was like, or the credit ceiling. Oh my God. I felt that way about the, the term subprime. Remember the housing crisis when like all anybody talked about was subprime lenders <laughs> again, not laughing at the subprime lenders. That was very unethical. Um, I also the one another word that in the midterms, I was just like, I've never heard the word gubernatorial so much and I never need to hear it again. It's fun to say, but just the fact that it contains the word goober is like so tough anyway. that okay, that wasn't even a question. And I think I milked a good six minutes out of it. Uh, Moving to the next one. Hi, I was just really curious about the process that you went through to get your book published and how did you even know how to start out about reaching out to publishers or illustrators or any of that? I think it'd be really interesting to hear kind of how you got the book started and actually got it completed. Um, I am kind of new to the podcast over the last couple of months, so I apologize if you've already talked about this, but I'd love to hear about it. Thanks. I actually... um... I think I've had like three or four voicemails about this. Um, that's really cool that you're interested. And uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like hard to explain. It's a little bit boring. Yeah, I don't know if that's interesting to everybody. But what I was going to do actually is record a Patreon about the process because I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, 
it's like I talked about it a ton in my how I built this. Um, but that was before the book came out. Now that the books come out and I have like six months or, you know, whatever behind me, seven months. Um, I have so many thoughts about the actual process of selling a book, trying to get press, like sending out PR of like working with in-house publishing PR and working with a publisher period and like having so many issues with like the rights I have and the contract I signed. And I was kind of like, I really should talk about my issues like during that process. Cause I think it might, um, uh, highlight why my rage kind of came out in Taylor Swift's intellectual property battle. Cause I don't know. It's very, it's like so weird to transfer over something like that's your baby. That's your creative project. Um, and I just have a lot of thoughts on like what I would do differently, but to get the book in the first place, I, this is going to sound annoying. Um, but honestly, I wrote the poem, did a ton of research, like weeks of research about how to write a book proposal. Uh, you know, you write a cover letter, you include sample chapters, you I, I, for some people, you explain um, like comparable books. Uh, I, some of them wanted a market analysis um, and kind of like a whole competitive piece and. Uh, some of them also want like a more like psychographic description of the buyer. I don't know. There's like a, and what's so interesting is like, okay, so I'm going to keep this short. I did a ton of research about how to write a book proposal. I wrote one. Uh, then I realized every single publisher is very different in terms of submission guidelines. So basically what I would do is I'd go on Amazon I'd find like a book that was kind of comparable to what I would what I wanted to be doing. I'd see the publisher. I'd click through the publisher. I'd look through their imprints. I'd click on, you know, viewers also bought or whatever. And the kind of like find books in this arena, see who published them, wrote down all the publishers or imprints, and then would go to their website and see if they took open submissions. And basically that means unrepresented by a literary agent, which I was not. Um, so your big four your random house, uh, Harper Collins, McMillan, Shimon and Schuster. I think there's actually five. Um, maybe hatchets, one of them, uh, you like, it's hard because people look like they're published under these like small indie publishers, but actually they're usually imprints of one of those huge places. And the big publishers don't take open submissions in a very rare occasion. Some of them will for some of their imprints, but generally speaking, you need to be represented by a literary agent because they want to be working with interacting and negotiating with somebody who represents you, a literary agent, you have to like write a proposal to get to. And uh, so that makes it even longer. I, in retrospect, I wish I had a literary agent, but in retrospect, I would have never gotten one, you know, cause as like a first time author who was writing like a parody ish poem that like, I don't know, I, 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 I think the book's cute, but I don't think it's everybody gets it. <laughs> and um, I just found that literary agents were de a demo that weren't understanding it. And so I took matters into my own hands and, uh, yeah. So any publisher that allowed open submissions, I'd read their submission guidelines. Sometimes it's like, and you honestly, they're so strict. They're like, we will not read your proposal. If it doesn't say this in the subject line, if you do not include this attachment with these five things in it. And some are like, do not attach anything. It must be in the body of the email and it can't be longer than X. Some people want you to include different components. So I kind of kept like a spreadsheet of what each place needed 
and uh, would email the proposal in different formats. And it took a while because you have to kind of reconfigure it. And I chopped different ideas. Um, I kind of like glossed over it at a high level for how I built this. But it was like, you know, it's, it's on the one hand, I feel like it did happen fast. And I now having, you know, trying to shop other books, um, I'm like, oh, this is not easy. Uh, you can even like have be a published author and have with like, you know, a, a book that did decent and like literary agents are still like just straight up not interested. And uh, anyways, I, it's just a very fascinating industry that's um, very not straightforward. And uh, long story short, after you do this different formats of submission, most I'd say 90 percent of people just never respond. They usually say like, uh, on average, we'll get back to you within three months. Some people say three to six months. Sometimes it's six months to a year. It's like insane. They must get so many submissions. And uh, I didn't really, I, I actually heard back, got good feedback from a few places that probably weren't a fit. But the one I, the indie publisher I went with, um, they emailed me within 24 hours and they just like really got it. And even though I think like I feel like, you know, it, it was a hard process because I was so new to it and it was so common sense to them that I think sometimes when something's common sense to people, they don't realize they're not explaining it. So through every step of the process, I was like, this is not what I thought, like how I thought it was going to go. This is not like I thought I had control over more things. I, I it was I felt very like left out of the process at times, which is just weird when it's like yours but it's not because you signed it over. It's it's I think it's more maybe just level setting expectations. But um, no, I'm left forever grateful for them taking a chance on like a literal nobody. And it was in such a hard time in my life. And it was a win I needed so bad. And like, I'll forever be so grateful to have had Twinkle Twinkle to work on last year. Um, So yeah, I submitted it with no illustrations. It was like kind of a half formed poem. And it was a lot edgier at first, I ended up muting it out. And I ended up actually making it have a softer ending. And there was like a ton of edits with the um, illustrator. I was going to get connected with one that like uh, they have like a pool of illustrators they can contract. But I had met an illustrator when I was like speaking on a panel the fall prior. And I just when we sat down and talked, I remember thinking like and she said she wanted to be an illustrator, but she like hadn't written a book yet. I was like, well, I want to be an author, but I haven't written a book yet. And I just remember thinking like it was very, uh, you know, serendipitous. So I asked, like, could I please bring on my own illustrator? Like if she sends you a portfolio, like if, if I can give somebody else a break, I'm 100 percent going to. And um, they loved her. because She's so talented. And yeah, so I brought her on and it was such uh, it was so great working with her. And uh, she and especially too, because she got it like she's in all the, all this stuff on social media that I am like you. That, that, you know, that was my big thing is like anybody who creatively was driving anything with this book. I'm like, I just really need people that understand it and that can like champion it and don't aren't, don't think it's like so stupid, because if you're not familiar with the world, I just look like a dumb millennial. you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess in summary, I did a ton of research, spent a lot of time trying to write a really good proposal, because if you say you're a writer and your proposal's bad, like even if the book content is you want to look like you put a lot of effort into it. Um, and I, after I sent it to this one place, I heard within 24 hours, we had a call the next week. I had a contract within two weeks. It moved very fast. And I was like, wow, that was awesome. I'm going to submit all my poems everywhere. And like, now I, you know, crickets. 
Um, so it's kind of funny. Like, I just think it's a little different for everybody. A lot of people self-published. It wasn't something I was looking to do at the time because I do think there's a lot, um, of benefit, even though you give up such a big margin and ownership. But I just, for me, I was like, I, especially being very tired, having just, you know, started a business and had to like figure out so much. I wasn't in the market to take on another industry. Like I was like, I'm gonna have to figure out sales and distribution and printing and, you know, how to work with warehousing and Amazon. And I just was in like how like ebook versus regular. And I know there's like tools that do that. And I know it's probably not that hard. I just wanted to give it the best chance of success. And for my bandwidth at the time, that was a hundred percent working with a publisher. And I think for me as like a writer, I needed I wanted the uh, validation, to be perfectly honest. I think it's a kind of a resume item for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, so it was it, honestly, it's still so cool. Like when I see, look at it and really think about it, I'm like, that's wild. Like, that's really cool. And it's something, you know, not a lot of people get to do. And uh, was it a fluke or will I get to write more books? I don't know. I certainly hope so. But just know that, like, even though I've done it once, I'm having trouble doing it again that just goes to show how not easy it is and how much clutter there is out there and how many submissions people get. So, um, as with anything, my advice is typically just to do your research and do a, a really great job at what you're trying to do. Like just show, show them who you are and what you've got and don't be lazy about it. Like if it's something you really want, make sure it's done right. Because you know, if they, if more stuff comes in from your email or with your name, it's going to like lose credibility. If you're constantly sloppily shopping stuff around. And I think people try to cut corners with the submission guidelines and you really can't. So, um, yeah, if you've got sample chapters, chapters or content, all that's standing between you and a publishing deal is just, you know, making a proper proposal and doing the submissions and seeing what happens. There's really no harm in sending it around. And that's like such a takeaway for me. I'm just like, I can't believe like on these, you know, random days that I was just like, I'm just going to send it out. And then like, I wouldn't hear from anybody. And I'd be like, okay, two more. Let me just find some other publishers. You know, like these things we do on whims, these things we don't know will produce any sort of outcome whatsoever often feel so thankless. But then like when something actually happens, you're like, oh my God, what if I talked myself out of that, that one day? So just like go with your uh, creative whims, you know, and one person's garbage is another person's war and peace. You know, it, it, it's so subjective too. So never let a rejection feel bad. I get rejections all the time. So best of luck. Feel free to email me. And if, nay, when you get a book published, please send me a copy. Uh, next question. Hey, Kate, I have kind of a random question um, or comment. Um, but as a Taylor Swift fan in my late 20s, I have a full-time job. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers and have been since the beginning, but I feel left out of some of the activities she does for her fans because I don't have time to spend on Tumblr or to be making, you know, reaction YouTube videos. And so I guess I just kind of want your thoughts on, like, what it means to be, like, a super fan who isn't in high school and can spend, like, all of your free time um, kind of like making yourself known to her um, and, and kind of being involved in her fan base. Um, really just curious about kind of your thoughts on that. And um, yeah, I love your show. Thank you. And this is a great question. Very timely. And I think a lot of us has, have been thinking about this a lot, especially this week with secret sessions. Historically, this has bothered me. You know, I think that it's tough when you've spent a lot of like time and money and personal, like, you know, just a general investment in her career. A Taylor Swift fan is, is kind of this like hilarious full-time job 
where for like, I don't know, a solid like three years, I feel like I, in like my everyday conversations, I was having to like defend her so much. And, um, you know, all of her stuff's expensive with the merch. And then like last time she had two rep magazines and like, so I had to buy CDs. I don't even have a CD player. And now it's like, I have to buy four booklets. Do they all come with CDs? Like, I don't need all those CDs. And like, then I don't know what to do with it. Cause I like, I guess I can donate them to charity, but like, it's, is that charity? Isn't that kind of rude? Like, what if they don't have a CD player? The whole thing was very difficult for me to figure out. But anyway, yeah, it's just like, you know, you, you, you've been invested for a decade. You love her just as much as anybody else, but most people aren't comfortable. A, you don't have the time. B, I wouldn't be really comfortable having a fan account of any kind because as you've heard me talk about with like gurus and stuff, I'm just like very, I don't know. my As, as a person, I'm very not into like worshipy culture. Um, and so I have trouble seeing those things sometimes as sincere because I feel like what people do is they watch what she likes on Tumblr or like reblogs and then they try to do more of that. And some people are genuinely funny. Like some jokes people tell that Taylor likes. I'm like, damn, I wish I could have thought of that. And I think Tumblr's cool because it's anonymous, kind of. Like you could hide behind a Tumblr and not have your identity. But, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that. It's a little like embarrassing to be like a, a grown woman fangirling, even though that is exactly what I do. But even for me, that's kind of why, you know, I am such a fan, but I'll talk about her in a more in a different angle. Like, you know, whether it's about like how she deals with press or her love life or her as a marketer, I, I, I that's kind of how I express my fandom outwardly. But case in point, uh, th- th- this podcast, like a, a decent amount of people to this podcast, I have dedicated more uh, audible real estate to her than anybody. And like I've never heard a peep from Taylor Nation. You know what I mean? So I I think that like it doesn't it it would be worse to be a person with a fan account who was putting all this effort in every day to hyperboleing all over Tumblr um only to also never get invited. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. It's not like a direct correlation. I think it's very luck of the draw. I think she got like we'll see posts Tumblr's whatever throughout the year, screenshot them, send them to Taylor Nation, they compile them probably vet them and uh you know reach out accordingly just to make sure they've like never said anything remotely edgy about taylor and that's why when people are like oh my god you're so gonna go to a secret session i was like actually i know taylor nation must do some serious um digging to make sure that they're inviting the right people because people find out who goes to the sessions and then if they like weren't a good fan there'd be like outrage and like you know why let somebody in your home who's talked bad about you i wouldn't want that either but I, in speculating about, like, le- the legitimacy of her and Joe and, like, me pointing things out, like, he's wearing dark jeans and Nikes three days before the Delegate video came out. <laughs> or, like, every single time he had a trailer drop, they'd get, like, randomly spotted or, like, whatever. It, he, it, his, he shows up at very convenient times, and I just think it's interesting to point out. And my point was never to call her a liar. My point was that, there's a lot of like controversy in the Swifty fandom about posting paparazzi photos. And I just want to like educate people on like the reality of publicity and marketing and that like sometimes they are going to leverage this to their benefit. And while, you know, people should have privacy when they want it, anytime they are seen, it's planned. Um, 
you know, it, it, unless there's, you know, some issue and there's not like a back entrance or whatever. Um, but even her New York apartment, she can go in and out of underground and she chooses when she's going to walk outside uh, the front door. And even like Gigi was on John Mayer's current mood um, last Sunday. And she was like, yeah, people don't get that. Like there are places you can go, like you can 100 percent hide, which was so ironic, given that people spotted her out with Tyler C. But I'm they I'm pretty sure they were at Soho House, which you, you can't take pictures there. But anyway, it's like, you know, I don't know. Like, it's it's not to say the relationship's fake. It's just to say, like, she's. If she's spotted out, there's probably something going on and it's mutually beneficial for both of them to leverage, you know, the public interest. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And um, but that to like her publicist, her team isn't like, you know, it's, it's probably unsavory. It's like not the type of thing they want somebody to be pointing out. And my what I was hoping is that she'd have one that was like media and, um, you know, whether it's like influencers or fans with followings or actual media and journalists. And then it would be less fanish. Um, and then fans wouldn't be mad if somebody like a Spencer Pratt was invited, you know, and didn't, so they didn't like take a spot from like a true fan. But what I like love to sit on a bus and in gab about Taylor's latest with like Spencer Pratt, Claudia Oshray, I don't know who like supports her publicly, like the U S women's national team, uh, two gay mats. I love their reaction videos. Oh my God. Re AJ, her reaction videos on YouTube. Like if she's not invited, there's no hope for the rest of us. Cause she's amazing. Um, Lauren Lippman, of course, love her. Like, I, I think there's a lot of people who like have, uh, platforms and talk about Taylor a lot on them with big followings and they don't necessarily get invited. So I wouldn't be discouraged, I guess is my point. Um, I think it definitely is designed to be for the mega, mega, mega fans and the people that dedicate their lives to these fan pages. Because when you think about it, you know, it is a lot of work. And even though it is their decision and it's hard for like a normal adult to have time for that, like think about actually spending all that time doing that and caring that much. And I think that's what I forget, too, is I think I'm like the biggest fan and care so much. But no, if I did, I'd like have interest in doing that. But I don't. Because, like, I care, but, you know, you you have your own life, and that's not how you want to spend your time. If somebody spends all their time, like, posting stuff on Tumblr to get her attention, like, especially if they're young and she never notices. And I don't know, I, the part of my heart sinks a little bit thinking of, like, you know, there's so many people with braces at the secret session. There's so many parents, apparently, and all the parents go first. And those kids go home earlier and then you like meet her in alphabetical order. And I was like, parents, I was like, oh, my God, duh. And then I realized there probably wasn't wine there. And then that kind of bummed me out. Um, but she, she like then somebody there's a quote on Tumblr. People were like. She uh, we all went outside to jump on the trampoline and she said, those are my kids. And she was like holding a glass of wine. I was like, well, she gets to drink and no one else does. I, I, if I were her, I would never be able to get through it without drinking. Um, it would be more fun that way. I'd be looser talking about my lyrics. But. Anyway, so all that to say, uh, the fan accounts do deserve it. My heart sinks a little bit thinking of like a kind of insecure teen that really identifies with their music that's struggling to fit in. Like, you know what I mean? Like really kind of needs some validation, really needs a win. I get annoyed with like the teenagers because like they weren't even born when like Speak Now came out. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I don't think there's any, what, 10 year olds. <laughs> um, but I... Also, you know, if they do run those accounts, totally get it. Um, I think that maybe there are uh, quieter fans that go, but we'll never know because, again, they're quieter. 
right? Like they, what if they have like a pri- like a private Instagram? What if they are on Tumblr, but we don't actually know their identity? Um, there's so many people that go, I, I, like at the Nashville one, there was like a hundred, I think it was 113 people and they can s- combine it with Rhode Island apparently. So what's funny too, is there was all those secret session rumors about them being canceled or rescheduled or something. And I think they might've been a smidge true. Cause there was like a security risk or whatever in Rhode Island and they didn't want to do it. Um, there, so they combine it with Nashville. That would have been a very large crowd. But yeah, so am I frustrated that I've spent so much time, energy, breath, money, and like can't even afford like the snake pit at the concert? Uh, you know, or like I've spent so, you know, I, I got in all my 10,000 steps looking for Scott Swift and those guitar picks. But that's another funny example of a thing like, you know, to Taylor Swift concerts, I wear a shirt that I made for myself that says, darling, I'm an adult dressed like a preteen. And, um, because like, I don't want to wear a costume, but I'm not a costume person, but like the people with the costumes obviously get invited to like rep room or whatever, but again, they put in effort. So they should probably be rewarded. And I think I just, I can chalk up my bitterness to just like, I genuinely like her. Her music's genuinely meant a lot to me. Even if I never so much as get a t-shirt, I won't actually feel like I ever wasted any time. Because I'm happy to spread the word of somebody who I think works hard, has great integrity, and whose music and talent deserves platforms upon platforms upon compliment upon compliment. And am I going to do it in the style of, you know, Tumblr hyperbole? I mean, I think I've had a few like full chordy keyboard piano style swipe downs of my keys because... I'm so excited for something, but no, it's just not me. That's just like, yeah, like you said, you know, you're, we're busy working adults and we're just never going to be able to spend the kind of time, but truly like, think about how big she is. And like, if you're not loud, it's impossible to find you. And that's just the unfortunate reality. Like, and then for her to be using any other methodology to pick people, let's say like, you know, there's like a golden ticket in like a CD or like leaflet or something like that's a huge risk security wise, rolling the dice wise, how big of a fan is it wise? Because if randos that don't really care, like wanted to meet her, like just for the picture or something. Um, and people realize they weren't fans or talked bad about her. They'd be crushed because again, devoted so much time. So lastly, the way I live my life is Anytime I look back on something that was really exciting that happened to me, I always am jealous of myself before it happened. I'm jealous of the buildup. I'm jealous that I have something to look forward to. And I just like hate when things are over. And if even if I never, ever meet her, I kind of love that all of us that, you know, don't get picked to like go backstage or go to these things. I mean, OK, just the only OK, the only thing I'm upset about <laughs> If she did a surprise AT&T concert, like a, a mile from my house um, and played all too well. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't even get picked in my own market. And that to me should have been like the biggest sign. Right. It's you know, I, I I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I am the Chicago podcaster that talks about her the most because I don't really know a lot of other Chicago pop culture podcasters. Also, I don't really know of any that talk about her does anybody talk about her as much as I do? I'm not sure. So that was kind of, you know, my telltale sign that I am not on their radar, uh, which again, fine. But what I mean is, you know, if I had that experience and, you know, waited in line, had all the build up, talked to all the fans, like got so excited, 
picked out my outfit. You know what I mean? Like that would be like such an exciting time. You know, you get there, but it's, you have to move quickly. You have like one minute. It's the most, every minute of her life is the most profound moment of the fans she's meeting's life. And they probably can't get enough words in. You want to get a good photo. You want to charm her, blah, blah, blah. And then it's over quickly. And you probably walk away almost feeling like sunk. Like I didn't say the right thing or like, I'm never going to meet her again. Or like, God, I wish we were friends. And like, I've, I've never heard anybody say they've had anything short of the most spectacular experience meeting her, which I love about her. But I kind of can foresee that I'd be like, I'd actually love to talk to her so much. Like, I don't really care about saying I met her or like <clears throat> a photo or previewing the album. I honestly would really enjoy talking to her and have so many questions about like the songwriting process and like as a writer too. I just, I, I don't know. There's things that span far beyond like, Oh my God, he means so much to me. Da, da, da. Like it's just not my style. Cause I'm not a gusher and I'm not a, like a worshipy type person. And even though I do worship her music, I'm just never going to show that outwardly. And I'd probably like be kind of deadpan. I'd be so nervous and then I'd be mad at myself. And then I didn't get to talk to her and then I'd probably never see her again. And then like, I would almost just be sad that we couldn't be friends going forward. <laughs> so all that to say, I think, you know, even though where my head goes, I'm like, well, geez, next album. Like, what if I, you know, who knows what I'll be doing? What if I have a kid? I literally when this year I was like, oh man, this might be the only time that I could have gone to one without the looming issue of childcare, you know? Cause they, if you're like a new mom, I'd feel a little funny, like leaving my newborn to go to a pop star's house to preview her album. <laughs> um, especially if you have to fly. I did. I thought they picked people in the cities. I did not know they they gave you the option to fly. Like people came from Hong Kong to London, like bonkers. Um, so yeah, live every day. Like at any any time now, you will meet her and you'll have a great experience. And that's like something so fun to look forward to. And we'll have a blast talking about it in the group in the meantime. Hey, Kay. I am wondering if you were on Vanderpump Rules, where you think you would fit in in their social dynamic. And I'm also curious if you think the two marriages that we've seen so far in the cast will last. Thanks so much. Bye. Oh, good cue. Um, okay, so... A, I'm worried about this rift that's happening, allegedly, with uh, Stassi, Katie, and Kristen. I think Kristen is, I don't know. She's, like, hanging out with Tom Sandoval and Ariana a lot, but, like, didn't really congratulate Stassi on her engagement, which is very cute and exciting, by the way, in a cemetery, in a cemetery no less, um, very on brand. But they're the witches of WeHo, and what do they do with their wine label and stuff, you know, if they split? Um. Anyway, the two... Uh, where, okay. Where would my, I fit in, in the dynamic? Um, honestly, I'd probably be very intimidated by Stassi. I don't know if I, if we'd have chemistry because I don't know, like she's a cool girl. You know what I mean? I feel like I don't always vibe with cool girls. I feel like stupid and I end up doing things like singing them my weird Al Yankovic version of Hamilton called Kennedy comma Catherine. Like, you know, it's a little off putting. It's not for everyone. Um, but having been there last month and like I saw most of the cast and like watched them interact, uh, I think I'd like I'm very drawn to Tom Sandoval. I think he's the most earnest guy on TV besides Craig Conover, though Craig is, you know, the past two 
few episodes have been different, but he was good at fox hunting. He was just so crazy in Colorado. I just love that he has like 110 pillow orders where you literally have to sew three sides of an inside out, you know, two pieces of fabric inside out together in a straight line. Flip it, stuff it. Bada bing, bada boom. It's like so strange. Why he's not getting a manufacturer? Because he has like the means to. A lot of people, I'm sure, that watch the show could help him. Whatever. Um, I think Ariana and Tom are really sweet watching them in person, like interact. They like are so sweet to each other and just seem like nice, cool, down to earth people. Ariana was not wearing a stitch of makeup and was so alarmingly stunning. Maybe. I think Ted Wood's having a bad dream. Oh, I love you. Um, and also, I talked to Katie for a long time and I loved her. Like, such. Her energy was so chill, so calm, and she was so nice. And, like, literally, she had no, like, everybody in the bar wanted to talk to them. And she didn't need to, like, be asking questions about me and be, like, so kind. Um, but she was. And, like, her, she the way she talked about Tom Schwartz was really sweet. To your second question about the marriages, like, she she was kind of like, yeah, I'm like, oh, you know, my I'm at my husband's job and like I hang out here until he's off work. Like I actually come here and, you know, he actually works here. And I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you you know, you 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 may in your head, these people like almost are these like characters and not real people. But like they even though we intellectually know they're real people, but hearing her talk about Tom, like how she likes to hang out and like wait for him and how he's having fun DJing and like hearing about their life and then moving out to the valley. And like, they're just like a normal couple. That's like very in love and very happy and sweet. And it, it was good for me to see that these um, relationships are so real. And I think that's why Vanderpump rules is successful because it's all so legit. Like their friend groups, real, the relationships are real. Um, and even when they stopped filming, they all hung out there for like several hours. Like they actually hang out together at their restaurants. And um, that was really sweet to see. So I'd probably be good pals with Katie. I, Kristen's always been great to me too. She's like such a loyal customer. She'll like, be like, Hey, I'm looking for this sort of mat or like artwork, but I want to like support your business. Can you make something like this? And I'm like, that's so incredibly nice of somebody to do. Like she, again, doesn't have to do it. She can get anything she wants for free. And, um, I don't know. So I've just had both great experiences with both Kristen and Katie and everyone. I, I have, I haven't actually met Kristen in person, but everybody who I know who has, has said like, you'd be surprised like how sweet and normal she is. And I, my interactions with her have been nothing but sweet and normal. And I know that's not like juicy. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I could, I'd enjoy my time with everyone for different reasons i mean besides james and raquel and billy and uh, who i'm not really interested in oh my god i forgot about lala okay so okay stassi and lala would intimidate the hell out of me something about their energy is like it's more commanding than mine and i would feel like i don't know just like very uncool in their presence i would have said that about katie before i would have been intimidated by her or felt like she wouldn't like me but she was so incredibly warm that now i'm like oh cool she'd be my ally we'd be buds um, but that said, I could see, I, I could do something fun with everybody. Like, I feel like I could have a deep, meaningful life talk with Katie. I feel like I could stalk the crap out of somebody on the internet with Kristen. I, you know, Stassi and I could like eat ranch and talk about Meghan Markle. Ariana and I could bond over sketch comedy and Lala and I could bond over our love of premium air travel. I've never been on a PJ. And I'd also 
tell her like I don't think I like didn't she say like you're hit like you, you you're ugly if you've never been invited on a private jet so I would I would want to ask her like just to clarify you know does that track with me like am, am I not your vibe like I said on my Patreon I think I'm a Chicago 7 and LA 4 so I just don't even know if I would work in Lala's presence um but I do think that was like a funny thing she said that I was like oh it's so funny when people don't realize like how the world but you know most people like in LA in New York like big cities like sure there's people with private planes but like there's you know in chicago or like virginia i just you haven't really met many uh but yeah so anyways oh and Brittany, i forgot about Brittany. i yeah i could talk to Brittany about i uh, she's from she's actually not from that small of a town it's outside of lexington kentucky which is like a big college town and a big uh horse it's like a ho- big horse town right like the kentucky derby obviously is in louisville but like there's a, a, a there's a big presence of really wealthy people who are really into horse racing and uh it's i don't know like my sister lived there for a while and it's like a really cool place and it's just not like super rural and i didn't ever meet anybody there with this strong of an accent as her so i thought she was from a like a really small town and it's like small but it's just not that far from like the action in kentucky and i am surprised she has such a thick accent but um i mean i think she'd be so easy to talk to she doesn't do a lot of interviews or podcasts, but Heather McDonald interviewed her and it was like a great interview. She really was well-spoken and sweet and sincere. Um, so I'd really enjoy talking to her about like anything. Uh, but uh, with the other wedding, Jackson, Brittany, I don't know. She's so trusting of him and it's so sweet. And I just he honestly, I think like. I feel like we we've rewritten history a little bit with Jack's like. He really has done some bad stuff. And that's only the stuff he was caught doing. You know what I mean? I You, you can't forget that he cheated on Stasi with somebody in Las Vegas who he then paid to, like, get an abortion. You know what I like? Very dark stuff and very, you know, it was a little odd that he and Kristen hooked up, obviously. And, um, you know, it's kind of alarming that he couldn't swim. Remember when he, like, thought he was caught in a riptide, but he was in, like, a brackish river? Wait, no, I'm thinking of where Tom Schwartz took like a splash bath before his wedding in a river. Uh, he, I'm thinking of um, like Arrowhead. There's no riptide in a lake either, though. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, Katie and Tom, yes. Brittany and Jax. I'm not sure because I just don't know whether or not to believe he's reformed. I want to give people the chance to evolve. It just seems like I worry that at times his mistakes are less circumstantial and more character driven. And I think that a lot of the stuff he's done, you know, especially like cheating on Brittany with faith while there was an elderly woman being caretaken for nearby and the whole thing was recorded. And he said like, he didn't want to marry, you know what I mean? Like that wasn't that long ago. And I know a lot changed after his father died, but like, I mean, she's just a much bigger woman than I am in terms of, I just wouldn't, I can't forget stuff. Like I wouldn't forget that it would be all, it would forever loom. And I just don't think forgiveness in moving on is like that simple. And it probably changes day to day. And it is different in marriages when you get in arguments, fights, whatever. And like, you're not going anywhere. Oh my God. Katie and Tom's that's right. They had to get married in Vegas because their ceremony that Lisa did was just symbolic, which is so funny that they didn't know that. Cause like, what about taxes? You know, unless they just decided to still file separately. Uh, that was a plot line of a Juliana and Bill show. Uh, I, lo- I used to love their show. And one of the like season three, 
she was like, Bill, we're not actually married. It's been three years and like they never got married in the States, which literally I got married in Italy. So did Juliana. The first thing anybody tells you is you have to be you have to get married at the courthouse for like this is just like going through the motions. The, the thing in Italy is like not actually uh, a legally binding marriage. And I just said, there's no way they didn't know that. So I don't know with Katie and Tom since they did get married in the U.S. Um, and Lisa is an officiant, but every state is different, maybe. That to say, if they didn't want to be married, don't you think they'd take the opportunity for the out? You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be weird if you were you were like, oh, uh, yeah, we're not actually married. And your spouse was like, oh, awesome. Like, this is my out. Like, that would be awful. But I guess great, because if they kind of wanted it anyway, be a lot cleaner of a of a departure. But anywho, uh, yeah. So hopefully that means they are, you know, still going strong. Maybe I'll do one more while I'm sitting here. One second. Actually, I changed my mind because uh, the next ones, well, I'm behind, I'm like several behind, but there's a couple because I'm trying to go in order uh, that are like more intense questions that I actually like don't want to speed through. And I want to be like more thoughtful in answering because I'm just like very honored that anybody would have any interest in what I have to say, especially as it relates to something that affects their life. So we'll do that some other time. I kind of like this format of like if I have a formal episode and then if I have extra time doing the question separately, like if you guys like it that way, I don't know. Do you want to hear more from me? I don't know. I don't want to be like twice a week and then no one cares. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of like being prompted, even though I did ramble the first half hour and all like I kind of blacked out. And all I remember now is talking about how offended I am by the notion of blue raspberry as if the flavor makers of America are trying to trick me into thinking that's real, which to be fair, I still, I, I still do feel affected by, <laughs> um, also there are several questions down in the transcript. Somebody's asking me about Southern charm and I do want to talk about Southern charm. This Fox, I mean, the, I can't with Eliza Doolittle. She's very sweet, but like tally ho. I just, I don't know. It's like, Rich people hobbies are hilarious. Uh, but I I have some, like, great intel. Because my friend, who doesn't watch Southern Charm, uh, met Craig at an, like, completely, like, random event uh, through, like, a, they have a mutual friend, I guess. And he volunteered a lot of interesting information. But I don't feel like telling it really quickly right now. And I want to, like, keep this episode short. It's not, you know, it's not going to change your life. So I don't want you to be like, just say it. But at the same time, you know, teasers are a thing for a reason. And I want you to come back. Um, so uh, consider this verbal uh, clickbait. So I'll look forward to that. And yeah, I don't know when this part two of the Mormon Mommy Blogger podcast is coming out. Because what I'm doing is trying to compile feedback. And it's so funny because... A, everyone's been so cool and so nice for the most part. I, I'm like staying off Reddit. I had two glasses of wine the other night. And, uh, and on, in the Facebook group, people posted that the uh, podcast was being talked about on Reddit, which delighted and terrified me. And then I had two glasses of wine. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to read it. And then I was like, hey, I'm Kate AMA. I've like always wanted to do that. I think it's funny when people like the subject of a post finds it and talks to people. Um but then the next day, I realized I can't really interact on it without reading the comments. And um, again, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I, I'm the one that was saying it's so important to take feedback for something that's your job. 
However, I believe in taking direct feedback that is like directed or sent to me in some way or um, that is on one of my own platforms or properties. I think passive feedback is actually counterproductive and they're not even expecting you to read it or respond to it half the time. Um, and that is just like something I try to avoid because of my crippling fear of, you know, speaking out of turn or hurting someone's feelings or whatever, or just being generally unlikable. <laughs> but that's just like life. You're not everybody's cup of tea. Um, and I have to be mindful because like if you're sensitive and you have to produce like creative ish work and like I'm working on like uh, some stuff on the side that like I really need to be like feeling, you know, motivated for. And uh, if you have kind of a melancholic disposition, you have to protect your mood. And I've just learned in life what to do and what not to do when I need to preserve my mood. <laughs> Why was I talking about that? Oh, yeah, because part two of the podcast. Um, I've gotten some really awesome emails and DMs from current and ex-Mormons. And it's so funny because each one is like really nice. And they're like, thanks for being respectful or tasteful or whatever, which means a lot to me because I really... I didn't want to sacrifice, you know, having humor as an element, observational humor, being able to snark on it a little bit. There's so many elements of people within that religion that do funny things that aren't about the religion, if that makes sense. And um, the people that have been like, you know, think th this is actually how we think about this or here's a different angle or, you know, or correcting me about something. Everybody who's corrected me is corrected me differently. So, you know what I, therefore reiterating like how the truth is your truth, right? It's, there, there is no absolute. And especially when it comes to, you know, how you worship, there's just such a broad spectrum. So I want to like read through that. I can't read all of it, obviously, uh, but I want to pull excerpts, give anybody a chance to defend or correct, correct. And, you know, I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible here. And then the crime stuff, you know, I think it, it has a little bit to do with potential pressure and lack of uh, access to, you know, try any other substances or whatever that I think contribute to like a much broader problem uh, and like a lot of secrecy that goes on. But it's not the second one's just really not that much about the Mormon religion. So I'll just I just want to use some of the time because some of the responses are really interesting. Some of the anecdotes are really interesting for better or worse. Like I've had a couple of people write in that are like, uh, you're dead on. I like am still part of the church and I feel like really judged for X, Y, Z. And it's like hard to read. I don't know. It's so interesting. I'm getting very different stories. And but that's fine. I think that would be the case with anything. So anyway, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, so I'm going to try to combine that into the episode. Somebody reached out to me that both works in influencer marketing. And is Mormon. And works with a lot of Mormon influencers. And I think she might come on here if I can, like, make her anonymous. So that might be interesting. I'm, I'm interested in the behind-the-scenes influencer aspect anyway. Uh, especially if we can get some scoop on, like, how it all works logistically. So, anyway, we shall see. I'll keep you posted. Don't forget to join patreon.com slash be there in five. Uh, F-I-V-E, not the number. My friend Marissa and I did a Patreon where we talked about the Taylor Swift Vogue article, and I'm also very tired in it, so I don't even know what it's about. But it's just, you know, two, two pals talking. It was very nice of her to... to uh, she was staying at my apartment, and, like, whenever people stay, they're always like, can I bring anything? And I'm like, 
all I need is for you to podcast with me. I just need people to talk to. (laughs) People are going to be so sick of hearing from me. Just need to change it up now and again. And um, it was so great. And uh, don't forget to rate, subscribe, review. And I guess that's it. I don't know. Buy my book. I don't know. You know the drill. You've been here a while. If you're listening to my ask, if you're listening to my episodes that are like answering listener questions, I have a feeling you're not new. Like, I don't know why you'd click on this episode otherwise, but if, if so, awesome. Hi, love you. Come back, please. And just follow me on Instagram. I'd be there in five. And my Etsy shop's on hiatus because I'm trying to figure out what to do with their a whole shipping fiasco. And, uh, but you know, more to come on that on how the old be there in five biz is evolving and splitting off. So good times all around. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Ting drinking is very bad. Yo, I got a fake ID though. Yeah. 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 Yeah, two step with me, two step with me, one, then comes the two to the three to the four, everybody drunk out on the dance floor, baby girl.